Helpers, please. Thank you, thank you. While they're passing these out, I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. read the whole psalm to begin. Psalm 63. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up mine hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, And meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Psalm 63, I know different Bibles edit out stuff, not edit out, sorry. That's not the right way to say that. Bibles don't edit out stuff. They edit things to make the headings sometimes are are different. Um, mine, I have a Thomas Nelson Bible. Mine above Psalm 63 says, A thirsting soul. Does anybody have anything similar? The thirsty soul. The thirsty soul. Okay. Yes. Oh, you just have you know, that Bible. Anyway, so uh, the thirsting soul. But what this is talking about, this psalm is a, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, but he's expressing his longing. For the Lord. And he says here in verse 1, early will I seek thee. Now that word early does not necessarily have anything to do with a clock. So it doesn't mean at 6 a.m. David is going to seek the Lord. Really that word early has the idea of order of events. It has the idea of uh, a place of prominence or a place of preeminence. When I face troubles in life, David is saying, the first thing I'm going to do is seek the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord first. Early will I seek thee. 
So what we're going to deal with today is continuing on in Henry Scudder's book, uh, uh, The Christian's Daily Walk. I was trying to remember the title, The Christian's Daily Walk. But in this book, uh, what he gets into in chapter 2, I know it says part 3 here, but we did two parts of an introduction. But in this chapter 2, he begins with some very practical, just very practical, down-to-earth thoughts about walking with the Lord. And he starts with the beginning of the day, beginning the day with God. Now, we've already learned and dealt with in our lessons so far that our walking with God is something that should be constant. Uh, we, we're supposed to be living in the fear of the Lord. So remember those four foundational pillars of what it is to walk with God. The last of those four is living in the fear of the Lord. And we define that as simply living in the awareness of God, factoring God in to every single circumstance, decision, stage of life. And God, therefore, for, for us as believers, God cannot be an afterthought. God has to be the first thought. We, we start with God. And so anytime any of us are faced with any decision, um, not to make the trite phrase more trite, but what would Jesus do? You, you, what would God do? What, what would the Lord have me do? What is, what is God's will in this? How would God have me respond in this situation? How would God have me answer this question? How would God have me deal with this problem? We deal with that first. We, we're walking with the Lord. And so... Since God has to be constant in our thoughts, he can't be an afterthought, he has to be the primary thought, then beginning the day, starting first thing in the morning, with the Lord is important. Now, we all have so many different responsibilities. Um, yesterday, Bonnie laughed at me in, in a nice way. In the middle of the day, because I was running up and down the hallway and my sock feet, and so I get to my office, I'd slide and go into my office. I had so much stuff I needed to get done because I had a 3.30 deadline because that's when the football game started. And so I had to get done by 3.30. And that was a self-imposed time limit, but I had a bunch to do, and I needed to get it all done. And so I was frantic running around, and sometimes days are like that. You just have so much. And you have so many different responsibilities that have to be taken care of. And I fall into this. I'm sure there's times that you fall into this. You wake up in the morning, and God's not your first thought. You know, I will often wake up in the morning, and what do I need to get from Home Depot? I wake up in the morning, and... What do I, you know, what students do I have to test today? Wake up and, you know, what do I need to get done? What article do I need to get written? What, what lesson do I need to get worked on? Right? And, and there's a temptation for all of these responsibilities to just bombard us. And there's a sense in which that's not wrong. That, that's, that's not a bad thing necessarily. And so before we get into some of these practical things, I want to take a little bit of a time out and talk about a thing called casuistry. 
Pastor Kimbrough has mentioned this before over the years, but it is something quite important for us to understand. Casuistry is simply the process of taking rules and or, or, or reasonings from one scenario and trying to apply them to a different scenario. Now, one of the mistakes that some make, and, and we're talking here in a, a a, a Christian biblical context, if you go and, and look up casuistry in a dictionary or, or, or try to learn more about this topic of casuistry, you're going to find a lot of literature applying casuistry to medical ethics, business ethics. It's an ethical uh, realm for, for the most part. But what it's dealing with is, okay, we have a situation, and this is what happened, these are the rules that apply to this situation. And so now we're faced with this different situation that seems to be similar to that situation. Therefore, we take what we did here and we apply it here. Now, sometimes that works, and sometimes that's, that's perfectly fine. But sometimes the situation and the circumstances of B are different enough from A that we can't apply things universally. That, that same kind of, of way. And so casuistry is the process of taking rules or reasonings from one scenario, trying to apply them to another. So as it relates to the Bible, really what we're dealing with is the question of how one applies the law of God. Now, we've had Sunday school lessons where we've dealt pretty extensively in, in, in some detail with the Ten Commandments. And we've gone through whole whole lessons, a series of almost 20 lessons just on the Ten Commandments. One of the illustrations that I come back to over and over because I think it's an easy enough one for us to understand is the illustration of the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill. And you know that thou shalt not kill also means thou shalt preserve life. And so we as Christians have a responsibility to do what is within our power to preserve the life of our neighbor. We are to be hopeful. We are to, to, to look out for their welfare. We're not to do things that would, in an unnecessary way, put our neighbor in any harm. We're to protect our neighbor. And so that command that I have, I can't stab you and I can't shoot you with a gun, but I also have to take care of you, to what extent do I have to apply that? Now, I'm going to go into the realm of ridiculous here just to, to make the point. Casuistry is dealing with how to apply, let's say, that law, the Sixth Commandment. So what is my responsibility to my neighbor? So every day, I, when I go outside, I take the trash out, I do you know, cut my grass, I do whatever. I see my neighbor on his back porch and he's smoking a cigarette. And I know cigarettes are bad for your health. Things give you cancer, they destroy your lungs. And God has told me I have to protect my neighbor. And so do I march myself over to his porch and take the cigarette out of his hand? And say, look, buddy, you got to stop smoking. It's going to kill you. 
I have a responsibility before God to protect you, and I'm going to do it. I'm, I have to obey God. Right? Is that my responsibility? Do I go into his house, open his refrigerator, and pour all his beer down the drain? Right? Is that my responsibility in protecting my neighbor? Well, a very, 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 very immature understanding of, you know, I have to protect my neighbor. I have to obey God. Well, you would be, you know, I, I don't think anybody come to that stupid conclusion. But you understand what I'm saying. Somebody would come to this kind of conclusion that I have to obey God, so I have to, to do this. Well, I would say that that is a, a wrong way to apply the law. It seems ridiculous to take a commandment to, to that extreme. But one might argue the case that because the Bible says I have to do this, then in every single circumstance, regardless of the differences of all those circumstances, I always have to do that thing. And that's not so much the case. Now, casuistry and what we're, we're talking about, I, I say we're taking a time out from what we're dealing with. Casuistry and what we're talking about is in some ways a whole nother lesson to deal with. But I mention it because it does fit in the context of what we're talking about now. Because there would be a temptation, if you were to, to pick up Henry Scudder's book and read these things, and these practical, you know, practical applications of what it is to start the day with the Lord, a weak conscience would put yourself in a lot of bondage, could, could get yourself in a lot of bondage when you hear these practical situations, these practical applications. And I think sometimes that happens in a church context. A, a preacher is not to give his opinion. Right? That, that's not the preacher's job to relay his opinion. But it is inevitable that a preacher, a pastor, in a sermon, in a counseling, in an inconsequential conversation at the back door would say something in such a way that a person would take that as, oh, well, that's what I have to do. In order to conform, and, you know, my pastor, I respect him, he's holy, he walks with God, and in order for me to walk with God, then I have to mimic that. I have to do exactly what he does, and I have to have that kind of conformity to, to what he has said. And where the preacher's statement, he didn't mean that at all. There wasn't anything about the point. And so, for example, right here, here's an example applying to what we're dealing with. You, you could hear someone say that, you know, a Christian, you should always start your day with prayer and Bible reading. You should always start your day with prayer and Bible reading. And so a preacher hammers that on Sunday. Monday morning you wake up. And you, you wander in and you turn on your coffee maker and you realize, man, I just, I'm taking care of the needs of the flesh before I'm taking care of the needs of the spirit. And you get all in bondage, it's like, well, I can't have my coffee. I've got to read my Bible and pray first. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can get in bondage that way. If that's, if that's your, your thinking with some of these practical applications. And so this governs a lot of what we're saying. And... I don't want to overstate my case either because I don't want to explain this and emphasize this to such a degree 
that when we do begin through some of these practical applications, you all walk out and say, oh, well, none of those mattered. I don't have to do any of that. I'm not, I'm not held to any of those things. Right? Well, that's, not, that's the other side of it, too. But that, that weak conscience that says, oh, well, I can't have my coffee until after I've prayed and read my Bible because I have to take care of the spirit before I take care of the flesh. Right? The, the next legalistic tendency would be to be judgmental in such a way as to say, you know, well, Pastor Kimbrough admitted that he doesn't pray when he gets out of bed. He admitted that he thinks about Home Depot before he thinks about his Bible. And so I'm, you know, I'm more holy than Pastor Bowman is, right? And then we get that legalistic judgmental kind of thing that because you don't do it the way I do it, or you don't do it the way it's been recommended to me by my Christian authorities to do it, then I'm better than you. Right? And that's not what we're dealing with at all. And, and I want to, want to dispel all of that. But I do want to lay out some very general ideas that Henry Scudder presents in this book. And I'll give you a little history and background just from my own perspective. I first read this book probably in 97 or 98. 1997 or 98. So we're 25, 4 or 5 so years ago. A good long time ago that I first read this book. I've picked it up from time to time since. And as I was just recently reading it again, I was reminded of things that I read those 25 years ago. And I realized that in the past 25 years, I've thought about some of these things. Not every day, not every month, maybe not every year, but some of these thoughts that we're going to go through, I've thought about these, and they're helpful. They're, they're, they are practical. They are useful. And so I present them to you in that light, right, in, in that vein. And so let's just dig in here. Number one, thank God that you are alive to serve him another day. The Bible tells us it is the Lord that gives his beloved sleep. Right? And so when you wake up in the morning, your alarm goes off, your eyes open, whatever, you wake up before your alarm. That's what I always do. But you wake up, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And in here, Scudder would recommend to just give the thought, Lord, you preserve me through the night. Thank you for preserving me through the night. Thank you for another day. Things happen at night that we don't know about. When, we, when the tree fell on our house, it was the loudest thud you'd ever heard in your life. Hudson slept through the whole thing. He, ne- he never even woke up. Everybody in the house was awake. And we were all running outside to see what in the world happened. and you know, all this. He slept through the whole thing. Had no earthly idea what was happening. The Lord giveth his beloved sleep. <laughs> he's, he's a very beloved, right? He's, he's highly beloved. When I was in high school, um, we, uh, I've told you some of my shenanigans on youth trips, but we had this one youth trip, and we had these couple people in our youth group. They slept so hard. We managed to get a football helmet on a guy. Take a picture of him while he was asleep. 
I'm embarrassed to say we also put makeup on him that we got from some of the girls. Took a picture of him while he was asleep. Never woke up. Right? Never woke up. Things happen when you're asleep. You have no idea. They say you eat about five bugs a year that fly in your mouth while you're asleep. Right? You have no idea what's going on. Right? But the Lord protects you. The Lord wakes you up for another day. He gives you life and breath and heartbeat for another day. And so thank the Lord for it. Begin your day that way. Number two, he recommends, and I recommend, um, start the day early. Now what he means by that is start the day before you know you have other pressing responsibilities. So just to be very practical here, if you have to be at work at 8 and it takes you 20 minutes to get to work, well, don't get up at 7.30. Right? You get up at 7.30, you probably don't even have time for a shower. Right? You throw your clothes on, you grab a cup of coffee, you grab a granola bar, whatever you do, and you jump in the car right? and off you to work. In that harried hurriedness, what time do you have to consider the Lord? Right? Now, is it wrong to do that? Of course not. And that's why I, I talk about this whole thing of, of casuistry and these recommendations. These are helpful things. These are, these are practical, down-to-earth things for you to consider. If the Lord would deal with your heart in such a way to say, you know, I really don't give the Lord the time he deserves, then maybe this would be a thing, right? So in our, instead of getting up at 7.30, how about 7? How about 7.15 and read Spurgeon's Morning and Evening? That'll take you a minute, right? Something, right? Something in there. But practical, practical ideas here of starting the day early. Begin before you have other responsibilities so that you can, in a real way, begin the day with thoughts of the Lord. Number three, he says, when you wake up, think gospel thoughts. Now, that's not the way he puts it in the book, but I've, I've kind of interpreted what he's talking about here. But when you wake up, think gospel thoughts. And so, three of them here. Think of the fact that when you wake up from sleep, it reminds you of your need to wake up from the sleep of sin. So let's look at some verses here. Ephesians 5. Turn up Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, so this is a quotation, interestingly enough, we're not really sure where this quotation comes from. Some people think it's kind of a paraphrase from a verse in Isaiah, but it's kind of a stretched paraphrase. There's an apocryphal book of Jeremy, that has a quotation that is way, way, way more similar than what Isaiah has. We don't really know where it comes from, but it doesn't matter. Whoever said it actually did say it, and it's okay that we don't know where it comes from. But somebody said, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And so here in this context, it fits with what Scudder's talking about, that when you wake up from your sleep, 
be mindful of the fact that today I need to be awake from sin. I need to be mindful of what's going on around me. I need to be conscious of what I'm letting in through the eyes and in through the ears and what I'm letting filter through the mind. I need to be awake. I need to be paying attention. I think we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we stop paying attention. You know, another way of saying that is letting your guard down. When, when a believer lets his guard down and, and is not watchful, well, that's the time that you're going to find yourself in more in more trouble. Look at Romans 13, another passage here. I'm dealing a lot with the same kind of idea. Romans 13, verse 11. He says here, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Again, these same ideas of beginning the day and and having that awaking from sleep just simply remind you of the fact that, you know, today spiritually I need to pay attention. Today spiritually I need to be on guard because there's an enemy out there that's trying to destroy me. There There are forces and there are powers of this world that, that want to trip me, they, that want to cause me to fall into sin. And I'm not going to sleep through that. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to be mindful today that I have to do right. And, and that comes to the second one. I must awake to righteousness. And so look at 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 30, well, I've quoted it here for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. Again, a lot of the same ideas here. Every day is a new day to serve the Lord. And so you, when you wake up, you're, you're mindful. I awake to sin. I, I'm, I'm going to be conscious of this. I'm going to pay attention to this. And there's service for the Lord for me today. How am I going to serve the Lord today? What's going to be the way that I serve God in this day? God has preserved me for this day. I don't know if I'm going to be preserved for tomorrow. And for that matter, you don't know if you're going to be preserved the whole day. But you're preserved now. And so how am I going to serve the Lord today? What can I do for God today? And it might be very little. It might be something that nobody in the wide world ever knows even happened. But you awake to righteousness, to to good works. This is not justifying righteousness in that sense, but awake to doing the right thing. And don't sin. So be mindful of that. And then a third that he puts here into this category of what I'm calling think gospel thoughts is, you know, as you awake and the sun is shining through the window, remember that Christ is the light of the world. Uh, 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I think... I have confessed to you all that I am afraid of the dark. Um, I, don't, I don't like being going through my house in the dark. The worst in the world is if I have to go down into the basement and come up the stairs in the dark. I know something is behind me. I know something is going to touch my leg. And I run up the stairs as fast as I can. 
I don't like the dark. It's a dangerous place. You can trip on something. You can fall over something. You don't want to, you don't want to be in the dark. So when you wake up and the light's through the window, remember that Christ is the light that you follow. You know, think about Pilgrim. He was told at the very beginning, or I'm sorry, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. Um, you know, Christian was told at the very beginning, you see that light way over there? Keep that light in your eye. Just, just keep your focus on that light. You're going to go all kinds of ways, but just keep your focus on that light. And as we walk with the Lord, that's what we're doing. We're keeping our focus on that light. And we head to the celestial city. You remember one of our reasons uh, last week, reasons for walking with God. One of those reasons is if you're walking with the Lord, you know you're going to be walking in the right way. Because this is where the Lord is walking. And the Lord is not on the wrong path. And so if you're walking with him, then you're going to be walking on the right path. You're going to be where you need to be. And then four, he, he goes on to the next part of the day. In his book, he doesn't take a shower or a bath. He, goes, he wakes up and he goes straight to getting dressed. So we'll skip the shower and being washed from your sins and you can go there. Um, number four, when you get dressed, use the time to start your day with the Lord. And again, just some practical thoughts. Remember, as you put your clothes on, why you have to wear clothes in the first place. If it wasn't for Adam's sin and Adam's fall, we wouldn't have to deal with all this. It was sin that revealed the shame of their nakedness before God. The fact that God saw everything. There was nothing hidden. And Adam's sin revealed that shame. And God, in grace and in mercy, made a covering for them to, to cover that. And remember, that is what we have in Christ and his righteousness. His righteousness covers us, that robe of righteousness that we have. Consider God's wise provision in what he has done. Even before the fall, God created cotton. Even before the fall, God created sheep with wool and cows with leather and silkworms with bodily excretions, right? I have bodily excretion tie. Um, but God made all that, right? Why? God knows all things. He knew what was going to be. And it shows that we're dependent on God for everything. If God had not created all these other things for us to use for our clothing, then what would we do? How would we cover ourselves? You know, Adam tried with fig leaves, and it, that wasn't very, very profitable. That didn't help. But God, in his providence, God in his mercy, has provided a means for us to be protected. And then see, consider how even your clothing is compatible with your walk with the Lord. Right? You, you want to walk with the Lord in a way that is holy, in a way that is upright, in a way that is respectable. And so as you put on your clothing, you think about what is modest and what is appropriate. When you put on your clothing, you're thinking of the fact that I'm not 
going today to present myself in such a way that draws all the attention to me. I want attention to be drawn to the Lord. And therefore, you're not going to be uh, you know, unnecessarily flamboyant or you know, out of general modesty in what you wear. You don't want to make an idol out of the way you look. And so be mindful of the time that you give to the way that you present yourself and not fussing and fretting over every outfit because your main focus of, of putting yourself together is what other people are going to think about you. Be mindful of the fact that you live before the God of heaven and it, it really doesn't matter what other people think about you. God's opinion of you is really what is important. Now that doesn't mean you go out of the house all frumpy and you know goofy clothes and that. You put yourself together in a way that is, you're, you represent the king of kings, right? So you, you put yourself together in a way that's right. But you, you don't wear brands and fashions to try to fit in with the crowd because that's not what your aim is. That's not your heart's focus. Your heart's focus is, is to please the Lord, not to please people. And then consider the fact that these earthly garments are nothing compared to the spiritual garments that you have in Christ, the robe of Christ's righteousness that you have. And remember that that spiritual clothing is far more important. He makes the point that if you go without physical clothing, it's, a shameful, it's shameful to you as a person, potentially hazardous to your health. But if you go through the day without spiritual clothing, how shameful is your sin? How shameful is that to a holy God who sees and knows all things? And so we pursue the Lord, we pursue uh, the, those garments of righteousness. And consider the daily need that you have to clothe yourself with the whole armor of God. And, and think through those different parts of that, those various parts of the armor, how that is going to help you through the day. And as you know, not to be ridiculous in this, but again, just very practical things. As you put on your pants or your skirt or whatever you put on, that you're, you're girding about your loins. And how can I apply God's truth to what I'm going to be doing today? You put on your shirt, that breastplate. You know, I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The Lord has saved me. My sins have been washed away. You put your shoes on. And here's, how, how can I today spread the gospel of peace? What, what can I do in my life that in, in some way spreads the gospel of peace? How can I be a good testimony to my coworkers, a good testimony to my family? How can I do all these things? And then be mindful of the fact that there are enemies, and I need that shield of faith. I need to trust the Lord today. I need to believe Him. I need, you know, you wear a hat all day, but, you know, you... You have a helmet of salvation. Um, we were doing some work in the yard uh, recently, and there were things that were dangerous. And I turn around, and Matron's come outside with his hard hat on. <laughs> he had his helmet because he was ready, and he he needed it. Um, but we have that that protects us. We have salvation in Christ that protects us and keeps us safe. And so again, just some very practical things. Not that it's law, the 11th commandment, you do all these things, but why would you not be mindful of some of these things throughout the day or throughout the week? Or 
Uh, hopefully these things will be helpful and come to your mind as you begin the day with the Lord. Let's close. Let's finish in prayer. Our Father, we do want to follow you. We confess that so often we do get sidetracked with things and cares of this life, but uh, we want to be mindful of what you've done for us in Christ, and we pray that you would help us. We pray that you'll bless our worship service here in a moment, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.